0: Welcome to Foozled It, where each episode I chat with a performer about their worst shows and dispense unqualified therapy. I'm your host, Rebecca Porter. And this week's special guest is the Grand Duchess of Cabaret. Her incredible voice landed her on Team Will I Am in season three of The Voice UK. She's performed at the 2000 Sydney Olympics, Oslo Burlesque Festival, Ron Cali's Apollo and the Berlin Burlesque Week, among others. Welcome to the show, Kiki DeVille. Hi, Hi. Hi. thank you for having me. I was so excited to, to chat with you because I did one burlesque class. So just the uh, one. Okay. And I was like, this is my life. This, <laughs> this is my everything. How did you get into burlesque?
1: Well, I don't think, I, I, think that the reality is, um, that burlesque is, is never ever going to be mainstream. I mean, Christina yeah. Aguilera tried it and, uh, and Cher tried it with a movie, um, that yes. I think most people would argue it isn't actually a great representation of burlesque. But, um, the reality mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. women taking their clothes off is, is incredibly political. It's a, it's a really political statement. Um, and, uh, it, we also, I, are uh, Realistically part of the sex industry, you know, we our what, what burlesque comes from. Um, mm. the, there are the very sort of very, very old ancient versions of it. Neo burlesque, uh, burlesque, which sort of rose up through the nineties, uh, and to now, uh, really grew out of, of strip clubs. And, mm. um, and so, you know, strippers are our, our sisters in burlesque and, and, you know, it's really important, um, sort of clarification that that burlesque is striptease you know Mm. there are Mm. there is plenty where you don't take your clothes off and there are plenty of people who don't do that I don't strip I work in burlesque have done for 12 years and I don't take my clothes off um but I'm a singing host so it's my Mm. job to bring people onto the stage it's a really rounded kind of there's lots and lots of different descriptions and people will tell you the different ways that it is and and what makes it but But the reality is that, you know, it it is a a craft um, that involves an awful lot of of thought and talent and passion Mm. um, and, uh, you know, we fall very much in the the cabaret variety sort of side of things, which is really fabulous. Mm. Um, I was singing. I moved to the UK from um, Los Angeles, actually, and uh, I – hadn't sort of I had to get a muggle job when I moved here I've always been a musician <laughs> I, I, love <laughs> I love <laughs> that term <laughs> um,
0: I, I had to
1: get I had to get a muggle job and uh and then eventually I kind of went you know what I, I need to go back to performing uh I was a blues singer in America and um and that had kind of been my my thing in, in Australia I was a session singer so sang commercials television and radio mm. um I did backing vocals and that kind of thing and uh I, I, I got a guitarist and I was just doing this sort of lounging thing and a friend messaged me and said, uh, we're we're doing a bow last night, will you come and sing? And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know what that is but, you know, yeah, sounds great. It's a gig. And I went and I sang and I would really struggled with British audiences. So I'm Australian and I lived in America and so I was really used to people showing their enthusiasm and uh-huh, understanding, uh-huh. you know. Showing their enthusiasm and understanding that this was like, yay, we're doing this kind of thing. Yeah. And then I got to England where I'm not going to say. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, well, you get it. You get it. You, you've lived in England. Like you totally get it. It's like these are people who queue for nothing at all. Like you will say, excuse me, what's the cue for? I don't know. I'm just doing <laughs> the queue. Like that's, you know, I love it here. I've lived here for 17 years. I absolutely love it. Um, but, but I just, I really couldn't work out what was going on. I was like, why do they hate me? And then people would come up to me afterwards, oh, my God, you're so brilliant. And I was like, oh. I don't know why I did that because I didn't live anywhere near London. I live in Manchester. <laughs> um, so, you know, they're like, "It's so great. And I was like, oh, thanks. I thought you hated me because, like, nobody did anything. And I was used to – I worked at a place called Babes and Rickies, which is in south-central L.A., and I was used to a room full of people yelling at me through the whole song. Yeah, girl, sing the song, you know, yeah. sort of thing. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest. And then nothing, just that kind of <laughs> tennis yeah, collapse, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. But I went to this bill last night. I sang Ain't Nobody by Shaka Khan and I hit the big note at the end and the whole crowd went absolutely mental and I just exhaled and went, I'm home. This is where I'm supposed to be. And I'd always struggled with being, I was a jack of all trades and I could sing Mm. anything that you put in front of me, I could pretty much do contemporary-wise. But I never really, and blues was my real love. That was That's Mm. the one where I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah," you know, sort of thing. And I've been writing in America and done all of that kind of thing. But I was really struggling with the idea that I wanted to be an entertainer. I'm obsessed with old Hollywood. I always have been. It's how I got into the vintage scene. And I wanted to be an old-fashioned entertainer. You know, somebody who could just do everything and more than anything, I wanted to make people laugh. I should say that my favorite quote is a quote by Mark Twain, which is, tragedy plus time equals humor. In 2007, it's just, I love it. In 2007, my husband and I had our first child and he was born with a genetic condition. Uh, He was called Dexter and he passed away when he was four weeks and three days old. And I was broken, as you can Mm. imagine. Coming back and moving back into entertaining, making people laugh made me see light again. Mm. And there was something about, and there's this really strange trend among comedians, especially who have, there's a lot of comedians who've lost children. And it is a really, it's a very, very deep and dark kind of loss to go through. But having that thing where I can go and be on stage and have people laugh and forget all of their things for that moment that they're on stage became a really big part of the healing process for me. Yeah, and burlesque and cabaret enabled me to do that because I didn't have to go and just sing songs in the you know kind of corner of a pub. And no Mm. one cared. I was all of a sudden on huge stages with audiences who really wanted to be entertained and who, when you give an audience permission, they love to be a part of what you're doing, don't they? You know, most audiences just need permission. That's it. Um, and so all of a sudden I had that in burlesque and, it, and I've always said that it's been a, an enormous part of the healing process and the grieving process for me yeah. to be able to, to kind of make people laugh and and. and and have that chance to forget everything for, for the time that I'm on stage. So, you know, for me, it was probably a little bit life saving. I'm not sure it was, it's as dramatic for everybody else. <laughs> um, but it definitely, I think so. it absolutely did. Yeah, I think as well, but it, it definitely changed my life. <laughs> wow.
0: Well, I have to say, and we can cut this out if you want, but um, I read that you've got a tattoo that's um, as long as we're living. Our baby, you'll be, and it made it when I read that. I like I started to cry because my mum used to read. I don't know if you got it from the book. The
1: poems, yeah, yeah. My yeah. mum
0: used to read that book Aww. to me, and it and that image of when when she's an old lady and the sun Aww. goes into.
1: It's just it's you so know what? sweet don't cut it out because one of the biggest passions that I have is normalizing talking about grief and mm. talking about you know those memories that make you feel upset we should we should do that in fact I ha- I am in the midst of a project I have a, a business called the keepsake circle um, and mm. my songwriting partner Angus and I run it um, and what we do is we work with bereaved families and um, And we talk to them, gather information from them, gather musical influences, and we hear all about their stories of their children who passed away and we write musical tributes to them. So we write a song based on the story. it's oh, beautiful. Um, I'm, my son died at um, Darien House Children's Hospice and I'm their, their official patron. So it's my job mm. to go out in the world and tell people all about them. Um, and actually, as part part of this project, I approached them. I did this for me. I wrote a song last year uh, in lockdown for my son. And um, I approached them and they actually funded our project. So we're in the midst of we're, oh, we're doing an album yeah. at the moment. So we're just about to move on to our second song. Um, we're finished the first song for a little boy called James and we're about to move on uh, to our second song for a little boy called Yassine. So we'll, we'll have an album ready by sort of October, November, ready for Christmas to sell, to sell to raise money for the hospice. So, you know, music has such a healing quality yeah. about it and normalizing grief and giving people platforms to talk about their grief is really, really something I'm hugely
0: passionate about. Mm. Yeah. Oh gosh, I could I could talk I could talk for a while about this, but uh-huh. <laughs> to, I know we have to it's move on. I have, a, evening, yes. I have a lot of I have a lot of feelings about this. Yeah. <laughs> um So you're doing the keepsake circle. Uh-huh. And then you also you were saying before in lockdown, you've got um the singing classes that you're teaching. Uh-huh. Is it your school? Are you doing it with with another company? Um
1: no, it's my school. I've been teaching for about 12 years. Um, and I started out teaching in a, a dance school. I live in the mm. north of England, um, up in the north where it's cold. <laughs> um, and uh, and um, I sort of specialised with dancers for a long time because, as you know, as a ballet dancer, you're terrible at breathing. Um, really good at all the other stuff, but usually as a general rule, dancers are terrible at breathing. And yeah, these days, yeah. um, certainly in the UK, I don't know what it's like anywhere else, but in the UK you have to be able to sing in your audition for dance school. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so you, you need wow. to be able to hold a tune. So I, I started out um, really sort of working a lot with dancers, uh, which I really loved, um, and then I sort of had started to get busier. I, I started working a lot in Europe, and I kept my teaching business, but I sort of worked it very much around uh, when I was home. And my husband has been on my back for years to move online, and I was like, "Oh no, it can't be done! Don't be ridiculous!" Blah blah blah. Well, isn't he, Mister Smugger Rooney, right now? Because
0: he's like, "I And we him. I went, hey. hate him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we do. We absolutely hate him. But um, so I moved it at the start of lockdown. I had been on tour in Germany, and we sort of we'd it was getting really awkward and really uncomfortable. Mm. We were like, and I was like. <sighs> I need to get home. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm still an Australian citizen. I'm not a British citizen, although I have all the right paperwork to be here. Don't worry. Um, And so, you know, there was a lot of panic. And then eventually our tour got shut down and I got brought back to England. And I went, right, well, shit. My head's a
0: kid. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Shit. (laughs)
1: Okay. Shit. (laughs) Um, And, you know, because, of course, like everybody else, I lost all of the money from Mm. All of the tours and nobody was paying anybody, and nobody could pay mm-hmm. anybody, and venues weren't paying any. And uh, yeah, so, right, okay, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, you know, I still got my students that I had. Well, I'll, I'll move online. Anyway, it transpired that, of course, people had time all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. so I, I had a special rate for artists, and I still do now. I still have a special rate for artists. So it just kind of—I think the the biggest part of what I do as a teacher is around building confidence. Mm. Um, and I have to say, it, it, it's actually something I, I didn't realize this until I heard my—I overheard my husband telling somebody, um, "Oh, she, you know, I tell you what, there's nobody better at building confidence." So we like him again now because I heard him say that. Okay. We didn't he's, like him. He's okay. <laughs> he's we don't right like yet. him he's for all being a
0: know-it-all. <laughs> but yeah he's exactly. very supportive like him, I guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know so roll eyes in the back of the
1: head we kind of <laughs> like him um <laughs> but so a lot of what I do is that sort of positive reinforcement and helping people find their own mm. voice and then discover who they want to be as a singer
0: wow and what's the school called the,
1: you'll love this for my invention If anybody wants me as a marketing guru, it's called the Kiki Deville Online Singing School. Oh yes, that's right. You get what? it.
0: <laughs> what? I mean, it's just, it's just that cheapiness. is so creative. <laughs> I it's mean, great. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it because, like, <laughs> I want to do singing with Kiki Deville. How do I find it? Let me just Google <laughs> Kiki Deville Online Singing. Oh, there it is. Ta-da! <laughs> I mean, just, you know, I
1: really struggle with it because it sounds like such a wanker,
0: you know. <laughs> Can't be everything to everybody. That's exactly so right. It's that's okay. exactly You know what? You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> so you're not performing now, unfortunately, because like no one's performing now. So that's okay. But you used to perform back in the day uh-huh. when we used back to be able day. to see humans in, uh-huh. Uh-huh. in person and uh-huh. like have hugs whatever Um, (laughs) um and i understand that you have a story for us about bad attitudes so
1: this is my origin story if i were a superhero this would be my origin story I am one of these really super annoying people that when they say, you know, about gigs and all of that kind of stuff, I'm the annoying person that stands at the side of most stages pinching myself that I really can't quite believe that this is my job. You know, I've stood on some of the oldest and most incredible stages in Europe and gone what, what? like how kind of thing and it's not that I don't have confidence in my ability it's just I'm so goddamn grateful that I get to do this and I understand as I was relaying this story to my husband this morning I the penny dropped for me and I kind of went oh you know what never really thought about it I grew up in a really small town in Australia in between Adelaide and Melbourne four and a half Mm. hours from anywhere and I was there were two high schools um, I discovered I could sing when I was about 15 and I joined the, one of the high school rock bands. Very cool. We were really popular. We went with, you know, it was, it was, it seems very cool until I see the photos and
0: I'm like, <laughs> wow, wow. Just wow. I don't think, I don't think we can blame anything <laughs> for photo. Like that is yeah. just part of life. Yeah. <laughs> There's no so, shame. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, no, Apple. So we, within, a, within a really short space of time of being together, we won a really big competition. And, and then by the time I was 19, I was working in a function band in this town. Um, and I worked every Friday and Saturday night to a room full of three to 500 people every Friday and Saturday night. So I never really had those gigs in front of four or five people. Mm. I went straight in at a few hundred people every time, mm. which is very spoiled, you know.
0: And unfortunately, I wasn't going to be the one to say it, but, well, yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, since you, it, you said know. it, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah,
1: you suck, right? Um, so one time, the guy that ran the band said, well, "We'll do a little regional tour. We'll go and we'll do some stuff." and the guys in the band were really great and the drummer particularly was an old session drummer he was incredible he played with everybody in australia it was amazing and you know so we get we get out to this place called beachport very again very inventive name a port on a beach
0: um, <laughs> and it's course, not just you it's not just you it's not just it me is. it's an it's Australian okay. thing um
1: so, <laughs> so we get to this room which of course has a capacity of about 300 people because that's what we're, we're used to playing to mm. and there were genuinely about six people there oh, gosh. and and they really didn't give a shit you know they yeah. were they were like there they bought a ticket or whatever but they really didn't care you know mm-hmm. and I stood on stage and we did two sets and I the first set I behaved like a petulant child <laughs> I gave no shits I was in between songs I was like this next song is not that any of you care I mean who did I what? think I was right <laughs> I was think back now and think, you asshole! That is so awful! But I was just, I was so, and I'm not justifying, I was an asshole, don't get me wrong, but I was so used to people being like, oh my god, you're amazing, and there being people in the room that it it never occurred to me that half of those people probably didn't give a shit, and actually probably only twenty or twenty five people really loved what we were doing, and everyone else yeah. was just there for the state dinner, you know. Like I, I probably didn't realize that because there were always people, and I was you know I I sang well or whatever. It wasn't like I held back any of that, but I didn't do anything. I was just stood there with the worst attitude, face like slapped ass, and we came on stage. My like drama, I'm so I'm actually really embarrassed about it when I think about it now. Um, and it, we came off stage and my drummer took me aside and he, he just said, if you ever behave like that on stage again, I will never set foot on a stage with you ever again. Wow. Every person in that audience, regardless of how many there are, deserves 100% from you. A hundred percent of the time. I don't know who you think. And he went like this went on for about half an hour and I was like, woo, woo, sort of thing. Oh, and I swear to you, I have never set foot on a stage without the attitude of gratitude and giving a hundred percent every single time since. And that was Thirty-eight, years, thirty-three. There was a years, few ago. years ago. It was just a few
0: years ago. ago.
1: Seven <laughs> billion years ago, it was. um <laughs> I, I, All I can think of is that g- the gift from Titanic. It's been eighty-four years. <laughs> That's all I can think of. It, it was a really long time ago, and and it, and it made me understand that it didn't matter how many people. And, look, I went on, I moved to the city and I became a session singer and I went on to have plenty of gigs with no people. I, In mm. fact, only a few years ago I did a burlesque show, I hosted a burlesque show one night in York where there were genuinely more people in the cast than in the audience. You know, so I have I have paid my dues since and I know I was really spoiled but it shaped me as a performer a hundred percent. It really made me understand that my attitude that I took on stage really came across. Mm. And, um, and you know, I, I just, I, I, I was, I'm mortified when I think about it because I just think, God, you're such a dick, but. <laughs> I was really young and I just didn't understand and I'm so grateful to that drummer now whose name, can you believe, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> and it was a long time ago. Um, I'm so grateful to him now because it, it, was the, it was the kick up the ass I needed to understand what it was like to be a performer and yeah. a real performer, yeah, not just yeah. somebody being chucked in something really fortunate right from the word go. And it definitely Mm. shaped me into the performer that I am today. So that is my origin story. I was an asshole. Someone was horrible to me because I deserved it, and now I'm quite kind.
0: Love (laughs) it. I love it. And now I'm fabulous. Whatever.
1: I'm amazing. But, you know, and look, I, it's not like I don't get disappointed. You know, it's not like mm. I'm never disappointed. I am. You know, it's gutting when you are out there and you're putting yourself out there. I did a solo show a few years ago and I got like 20 people and it was, I was gutted. But the reality is the people that are there still deserve 100% of what I have to give. Yeah. And I, that that never left me.
0: Shall we get on to my personal favorite part of the show? Whose fault is it anyway, where we blame someone for you having that really traumatic experience of um, just having a super shit attitude and being yelled at, which does sound really traumatic. This is where I therapize as Uh a unqualified therapist myself. Uh Um, And based on what you said, I would like to examine the, I guess, sort of the society where you grew up. Uh Uh because it, it does sound like they were too giving and like too, almost too into the arts maybe, or, um, or like too, too appreciative of the arts. Mm. And they didn't, Mm. I think, um, I think what would have helped you was if they sort of took the attitude of like, rather than building you up and building your confidence, Mm. let's break you Mm. down. Yeah. So that you're prepared for this in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, really, sort of the the positive attitude and and mm. you know the the optimism and positivity that your town provided you mm. is really I th- I think it's definitely a factor that we need to consider
1: mm. in this.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I think that's at the heart of it. I think you know they they needed to not like me so much. Mm. Yeah,
0: I mean, I guess there's a part of that that comes
1: back to me being incredibly likable.
0: That's and true. Maybe your parents a bit to blame. Like if they had that, raised a less likable child, you also wouldn't be in this position.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually, you know what? I I, I couldn't agree more. Although I did grow up in foster care, so still, yeah. <laughs> so those, and so there's not only not only my parents, but a number of foster carers who are to blame for not. Yeah kind of you know keeping me a little bit sort of less confident
0: about mm. you know
1: so yeah I think there's definitely some stuff there about me being extremely I think extremely isn't a strong word extremely likable
0: mm, mm, like too like too likable definitely <laughs> I'm really sorry I really I really tried to get through that and I was just like I can't. my face is beetroot red right now from saying that oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I hope my family can't
1: hear me. I'm horrible. I'm burning. I am burning with embarrassment. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, genuinely, I'm so red in the face. You can see it; it's awful. Thank God, thank God, this isn't a video podcast.
0: <laughs> I might have to make this one a video know, podcast.
1: Oh my God, I'm so mortified. Please, I would never ever talk about myself. <laughs> oh, that's awful! Oh, so awful. Yeah. oh.
0: I, you know what? It sounds like it's really accurate, though. I mean, I think I, I, too, I think we're too light.
1: Mm-hmm. Too good at singing, extremely
0: likable. Extremely but then I think also too good at singing, yeah, because yeah. that yeah. everyone in your hometown really, really mm-hmm. liked you. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think also there's like a marketing aspect to blame mm-hmm. that they didn't mm-hmm. realize who was coming to do this yeah. performance. Mm-hmm. And if yeah, they had that, known, yeah. like it is the Kiki Deville. Yeah. Then there would have been more people. They would have been like hooting and hollering, yeah. really excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's definitely in terms of the tour, I think there's somebody on the marketing side that we need to blame for just not getting the message out yeah. there. Because if they I knew mean, that it was the extremely likable, very good singing Kiki DeVille, it
1: yeah, would have been yeah. fine. I think, you know, I, I think do they not know who I am was probably, you know, that probably would have been a good marketing. Do you not know who she is? You know, like mm. might have been a good marketing boy. Um, But. Uh,
0: yeah. I think we, yeah. I mean, we could have just done, you know, the Kiki DeVille tour, you know, a la yeah. the Kiki DeVille online singing school. And <laughs> I think that would have worked. Solid burner, Rebecca. Solid Bernardica. <laughs> I'm hesitant to ask whether you feel better about your show now. I <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, no I feel I I definitely feel better about the show because I definitely think that I wasn't to blame. Clearly, yeah. clearly um my town and the people surrounding me being supportive set me up to fail. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I feel I feel better sure. about it than than I ever have. Maybe in fact to the point where I'd say you know before i talked about it and i said i was such an asshole but no i wasn't they were the assholes
0: exactly and, they were know. the assholes for being yeah. too kind to you
1: yeah absolutely and i think you know had they not been quite so kind and had they you know really sort of thought about the impact on me that that i would never have been put in that situation where maybe i looked like an asshole i may have looked like an asshole but clearly i wasn't
0: it's not i mean I mean, yeah, exactly. You could have looked like an asshole, but like, let's be serious. That was somebody else's fault. You hundred know, like, percent. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely.
1: <laughs> That's my story now and I'm sticking to it.
0: <laughs> it used to be you're like, and now I'm so professional. And now it's guys. No, <laughs> no, no, no. You should be thankful that I am here. <laughs> It just gets worse, doesn't it? But speaking of um, people who maybe aren't super likable, people who aren't extremely (laughs) likable and maybe not the most professional, um, we'll come to our final segment of the show, which is our historic Fusel. This week, we're talking about some of the best sort of 50s singers, dancers, Frank Sinatra and Marlon Brando. And mm. I think Frank Sinatra is generally known as, like, not necessarily the most likable guy. Uh, I no, wasn't a, sort of was
1: a I don't think Brando was a particularly likable
0: character either. Mm, I'm not surprised. I'm yeah, not surprised. He, was, he was not a
1: very nice person from everything I've read.
0: Yeah. Well, they hated each other, so <laughs> that's a positive. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, So specifically, they were both cast in um, – guys and dolls sort of like the film the film Mm. adaptation of guys and dolls and um sinatra really wanted to be the lead character brando got the lead character role uh sinatra was like his sort of support character um brando cannot sing
1: yeah, Which I'm, you I'm think, wondering, like, yeah, I'm wondering. Why was he the cast? cast what, the casting director of this was like, must have been on the take. Like, what, at what point did you go, I know who's great for a all singing, all dancing musical? Marlon Brando. Why? Yes.
0: <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. It's like, if I get one person who can dance really well and one person who can sing really well, this will be fine. Right? Oh, okay. So, so then Brando like admits his his shortcomings. Wow. Goes to Sinatra's like, dude, I'm really bad at um, this. Verbatim, this is exactly a quote he said. Dude, listen, I'm really bad at singing. Can you help me, bud? Wow. And <laughs> and, um, and Sinatra hated him, and he was like, no, like fuck right off. I'm not interested. Wow. So it meant that when um, when Brand- Brando had to record, like of takes on, on all of his songs to the point where to put the song together, it was just little snippets of all the takes to try and get the best bits. And when he would, then he like lip synced it in the, in the actual like filming. And he said at one point he thought he was going to choke cause like his effort of trying to sync up his lips with like the recording to make it work. <laughs> And by the end, they wouldn't, Sinatra and Brando wouldn't speak to each other except through intermediaries. So let's talk about having an asshole attitude. Wow. I mean, that is what that is.
1: Right? That's just, that is taking it to a whole other level, isn't it? That is that's really intense. Yeah, that's a... I mean, you know, look, I, I think if you, uh, Sinatra is on my list of singers, uh, who have been probably one of my biggest influences, um, in terms of phrasing. He was the king of phrasing mm. and it's something I work a lot on and, and is a really big part of my style. So I love him, although I, I knew he was a very flawed human being, um, and not particularly nice. Um, but I had no idea he was quite so sort of, I mean, that's, that's really taken it to a whole other level.
0: It's, it's, I mean, I, I also understand like he paid people, like he paid somebody to punch a waiter or something like, like he's, he's a pretty, he's a pretty mean guy, but, but also like, it's this idea that, and I know that women are often accused of doing this um, Mm. of like, you can't like, I can't be good if you are also good. good. You need to be shit for me to Uh be good. Uh Which just like, it just doesn't work in, in like a play. I mean, sure. If you're a solo singer. Yeah. Maybe you want Uh to jeopardize the other solo singer so that you are the best solo singer. Maybe who knows, but in a group situation, you can't jeopardize somebody else in a play and have the play still be good. You know,
1: right. Right? And I think there's this is whole kind of like, you know, I always say to people, be really good friends with people who do the same job as you. So my best friend is a lady called Lily La Scala. She and I are both singing hosts. She's a classical singer. I'm a contemporary singer. As singers, we couldn't be more different. As human beings, in a lot of ways, we couldn't be more different. She's incredibly posh, she's slim, beautiful, very stylish. I'm like, you know, also beautiful and very stylish, beautiful and stylish, (coughs) but you know, like I'm plus size and, and like two oppositely, we we look like we're complete opposites and actually we complement each other incredibly well. And Her her doing the same job as me, she's the first person I can go to and say, oh, God, this happened and I don't know what to do about it or Mm. I've had this come in, what do you think? Oh, there's this job that's come in. I'm not right for it. You'd be perfect, so I've suggested you. That kind of thing, this self-awareness for a start, you're not right for every show. That's the Mm -hmm, simple mm -hmm. fact, you are not right for every single show. And also, just because somebody else is good, it doesn't detract from your talent. I mean, how insecure was Frank Sinatra? (laughs) Apparently (laughs) very like, you know, do you not? I I want everyone around me to be great because that makes me look that the reflection on me is incredible if everyone else is shining. So you just think, how can you be such a dick about it? And think that it's appropriate. You know, I just I don't but I've never understood that about competitiveness in the Mm. arts. I've never Mm. understood how people can be so viciously against somebody else when it just serves no purpose at all, does it? You know? But what a strange kind of what a petty petty
0: especially like it's it's not like i mean i'm sure brando like also oh
1: i'm sure he was isn't great like i'm not i'm not just shitting on
0: sinatra but um but like okay brando was the lead character um sinatra was like support sinatra was also like one of the if not the top singer of his time
1: yeah
0: you know like like okay people know marlon brando but like everyone knows Sinatra. Right. It's, it's yeah. not like being a supporting role was like, right? he was trying to make it in the world. Yeah. And,
1: and right? then was given
0: the shit role after working so yeah. hard to like make it up the, up the total, yeah. pl- you know, like yeah. he was already there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, 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 that's what I think doesn't make any sense is that, you know, he was so established and so fantastic and fantastically good. Yeah. that He had the power to make everybody else around him better, and he didn't do it. I mean, that's almost worse, isn't it? You know, when you have the power to make people good and you don't because you're whatever you are, petty, insecure, or whatever.
0: Bit of a dipshit.
1: Yeah, that feels worse than Brando, who I'm sure was a bit of a dick as well. It feels worse than him, you know, maybe being a bit entitled and a a bit of a nob to people. But, (laughs) I don't know, Sinatra, like, you know, I just – that's just really quite astounding. Like, I, I'm, I'm still quite shocked, to be honest. I, I, knew, I knew he wasn't a great guy. I knew, you know, there, there were elements, mm. but, but it's disappointing, isn't it? It's why they say they never meet heroes.
0: <laughs> true, true, <laughs> you know. true. It yeah. is. Um, I'm sorry to do that to you. I really yeah, no. I didn't want I mean, to.
1: I knew. I knew. I knew <laughs> he wasn't great. It's just, you know, if you come at me, with Lin-Manuel Miranda being a knob, a then I will cry.
0: I will literally cry. I'm not going to do that to you. Yeah,
1: because that that would hurt. That would be like that, you know, that's like, like yeah, he's like a, a, a combination of a kitten and a puppy, like the cutest puppy and the cutest kitten like molded together to be like a, a kippy, you know, like that's what <laughs> that would be called and it would be the cutest thing that you've ever seen. That. If you said bad things about Lin-Manuel Miranda, that's how my reaction would be. It'd be like you, you hurting a kippy.
0: I wouldn't do that to you.
1: <laughs> I, I wouldn't. really appreciate that. Even
0: even if it were true, I just wouldn't bring it up. I just, yeah, you know, that would be the, a secret that I would thing. take to the grave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's my favorite human. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kiki. I have. A wonderful time. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you feel better about your bad attitude performance. Although <laughs> I really obviously did. feel worse about Frank Sinatra. So. Well, yeah, there is that. Uh, it kind of yeah, it swings around roundabout. If you enjoyed hearing about Kiki Deville, please follow her on Instagram at Miss Kiki Deville. There she'll post all of her upcoming shows once things reopen, as well as her albums, all the great stuff that she's doing. A reminder that she has the keepsake circle, which is her company she's putting together an album around grief and loss with the um, loss of children, so that and if you're interested in singing lessons look her up the kiki deville online singing school i will put all of the links into the show notes so you'll be able to get them easily then and if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our episodes and give us a rating and a review five stars please it helps other people find the podcast thank you so much for joining keep puzzling it